Two young female employees closing up shop at an upscale yoga store in Bethesda, Maryland. But when they pop back in after locking up for the night to retrieve a forgotten personal item, their lives would be changed forever. What kind of evil was waiting for them at the store that would leave these two vibrant young women lying in a pool of blood by morning? This is the case of the Lululemon murder. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Episode 6 of Crime Cave. I'm Christy, and the very first podcast episode I ever listened to, of course it was a true crime podcast, was actually about this case. There is a lot of coverage that you can find out there on the internet, and different podcasts have covered it. But it was definitely one I wanted to tackle myself. So let's get to know Jaina Murray and Brittany Norwood. Jaina Troxel Murray was born November 22, 1980, and raised in Houston, Texas. Her father, David, was in the U.S. military, and her mother, Phyllis, was an Iowa native, but attended Texas Lutheran University. The two met upon David's return from Vietnam, and they married in 1969. David and Phyllis had three children, two boys, Hugh and Dirk, and finally their daughter, Jaina, who was described as strong-willed from the get-go. Her father began taking her along on Boy Scout campouts for the troop he led with her brothers. Jaina carried her own backpack, helped her dad pitch their tent, and rolled out the sleeping bags. She learned to tie knots and start campfires, the same activities that the older boys did to collect merit badges. Although Boy Scout rules prohibited Jaina from receiving the same badges, her father gave them to Jaina at home, away from the troop. By March 2011, 30-year-old Jaina was pursuing two master's degrees from Johns Hopkins University and was due to graduate in May of that year with an MBA from the Cary Business School and an MA in Communications. To say Jaina was adventurous doesn't even remotely cover it. She enjoyed bungee jumping, scuba diving, skydiving, and drinking margaritas and salsa dancing until 3 a.m. One of her mottos was, if you're afraid to do something, go do it. There's actually a video of Jaina on YouTube of her bungee jumping on her 30th birthday a few months earlier. When friends and family would describe Jaina, there was definitely a common theme. Of particular note was her laugh, her confidence, her big personality, and her penchant for asking thoughtful questions. Jaina was the epitome of a thrill seeker, but also loved the sense of balance and calmness that yoga had brought to her life. Jaina worked part-time at the Lululemon Athletica Retail Store in Bethesda, Maryland, in the upscale shopping district, Bethesda Row. Their website describes their brand as a yoga-inspired, technical athletic company for women and men, and that their core values were personal responsibility, entrepreneurship, honesty, courage, connection, fun, and inclusion. Her job of two years at Lululemon was perfect for her. She was both a sales associate and a team leader who was known to do cartwheels and dance with customers during quieter shifts. Jaina loved the company's business model and philosophy, so much so that she used Lululemon as the subject of her thesis, 
and wrote a crisis communication plan that Lululemon staff could implement in the case of an internal emergency. Jana's boyfriend, Fraser Bosell, was living across the country while he attended the University of Washington, working towards his PhD in educational statistics. He and Jana had begun looking at engagement rings. She had her sights set on a position at Lululemon corporate headquarters, which was located in Vancouver. Her life plan was coming together. By Friday, March 11, 2011, Apple had just released the iPad 2. Jana didn't normally work Fridays, but with the increased foot traffic expected at the Apple store located right next door to Lululemon, Jana was more than happy to help out. She arrived two hours early so she could plant herself in the back room and catch up on some personal work. She put on some music and opened up her laptop. Brittany Norwood was born May 18, 1982, to a large family of high achievers. Her father, Earl, ran an upholstery shop, and her mother, Lakita, was a homemaker and advisor. She had four brothers and four sisters and was raised 20 miles south of Seattle in a safe, middle-class suburban neighborhood with curved streets, parks, and private security patrols, soccer camps, private school when they could afford it, and Catholic mass. A stellar soccer player, Brittany made varsity as a freshman and went on to earn an athletic scholarship to Stony Brook University in Long Island, New York, where she studied sociology and psychology. She was known for her wide smile, welcoming nature, and good humor, all qualities that served her well when she made her way to the Willard Intercontinental Hotel in Washington, D.C., where she managed VIP guests just a few blocks from the White House. She would then accept a sales associate position at the Lululemon store in Georgetown, but transferred to the Bethesda location a few months later. Liking Brittany was easy. She was quick-witted, energetic, and at 5'3", 120 pounds, was very interested in fitness. She liked to round up her friends at 7 a.m. for boot camp workouts. In fact, Brittany had a final interview coming up at a prestigious local gym as a personal trainer, with her ultimate goal of opening her own gym. On the morning of March 11, 2011, 29-year-old Brittany attended a yoga class, met a friend for lunch, and then got her nails done. When she rushed into Lululemon for her shift, she was still wearing the salon-issued flip-flops from her pedicure. Someone had called in sick that shift, which left only Brittany and Jana. The pair had worked together a handful of times before and were confident that they would be fine. They finished their three to nine shift without incident and after completing their closing duties, Jana set the alarm, locked the door, and the women parted ways at 9.45 p.m. Brittany soon realized that she had forgotten her wallet, which had her Metro card in it for the bus ride home. At 9.51, Brittany called a fellow co-worker to get Jana's cell number. Brittany quickly contacted her, hoping she hadn't gotten too far, and asked her to meet her back at the store. Jana agreed, and grabbing a quick parking spot by the front, Jana unlocked the door at 10.05 p.m., and both women went back inside. On Saturday, March 12, 2011, Rachel Ortley, a manager at Lululemon, arrived shortly before 8 a.m. She was surprised to find the door unlocked when she got there and immediately sensed something was wrong. 
When she went inside, she found the store in complete disarray. Registers were open, receipts were scattered about, mannequins were knocked over, and a large screen TV had crashed to the floor. Panicked, Rachel ran out of the store and called 911. An Apple customer that was waiting in line outside noticed Rachel and offered his assistance. He accompanied Rachel back inside Lululemon, and as they ventured to the back of the store near the changing rooms, they found a horrifying scene. A woman's body was laying lifeless in a pool of blood with an open toolbox resting on her back and a rope around her neck. Blood was splattered along the walls and ceiling. It was Jaina Murray. They then found Brittany Norwood in a staff bathroom, lying on her back, bloodied and semi-conscious with her wrists zip-tied above her head. Both women's pants were ripped at the crotch. Detectives Dimitri Reuven and Jim Drury were assigned to the case and began their investigation of the gruesome scene. Brittany had regained consciousness and was transported to the hospital. She was shaking with fear, her face caked with blood and lacerations on her forehead, chest, stomach, back, and legs, and what appeared to be a defensive wound on her hand. Brittany said that when she and Jaina entered the store to retrieve her wallet, two men immediately entered the unlocked door and ambushed them. The shorter of the two dragged Brittany by her hair to the bathroom and began raping her. The taller assailant had hit Jaina over the head with a heavy metal bar and dragged her to a different part of the store. Brittany surmised that they ended up killing Jaina after she attempted to fight back. When asked to describe her attackers, Brittany said they were wearing ski masks, but they sounded like white males in their late 20s or 30s. Meanwhile, detectives were analyzing the myriad of bloody footprints left at the crime scene and putting out a bolo for their suspects. Incredibly, surveillance video from behind the store showed two men around the time of the attack, one taller and one shorter, both dressed in all black, rushing down the alleyway carrying backpacks. Once these men were tracked down, however, it was confirmed that they were both restaurant workers, simply heading home from their shift. Since the viciousness and brutality of this crime was so unusual for that area, there was an immediate uptick in sales of pepper spray and self-defense classes. Jaina's family was given the devastating news of her murder, and they sent flowers to Brittany in the hospital. Three days after the attack, Brittany was released, and her parents and all of her siblings who had flown in rallied around her. Detectives then went to Brittany's home to question her again. By that time, the shocking results of Jaina's autopsy had come in. It should be noted that when an autopsy tech had unzipped the body bag and had seen Jaina's distorted face and the athletic clothes she was wearing, he thought maybe she had been hit by a car while riding a bicycle or even slammed headfirst into a tree. It was determined that Jaina had suffered 331 wounds. At least 105 were defensive wounds, which was the most the medical examiner had ever seen on a human being. 152 of the wounds were to Jaina's head, including 13 skull fractures, 
A four-inch gash at the back of her head and a stabbing wound at the base of her skull that penetrated her brain and severed her spinal cord. Detectives were pondering why the assailants would attack Jaina so viciously and leave Brittany alive. Brittany then told police that the attackers told her they were keeping her around because she was more fun to have sex with. By this point, detectives were considering the possibility that Brittany may have known their attackers, and that's why she was spared. But was she involved in the planning? Did Brittany expect her cohorts to simply rob the store and it got out of hand? Brittany had claimed that the two men repeatedly yelled racial slurs at her until they eventually left Brittany in the bathroom and proceeded to beat Jaina to death. A police officer patrolling the area the night of the attack came forward stating that he saw Jaina's car at 12.30 a.m. It was found with the headlights on and someone sitting in the driver's seat. Jaina's car was ultimately found parked three blocks away. Blood was found inside on the steering wheel and the gear shift, which was determined to be Brittany Norwood's. However, during questioning, Brittany said she didn't even know what Jaina's car looked like. There were other things that weren't adding up. The medical examiner stated that there was no evidence of sexual assault for either woman. Additionally, only two sets of bloody footprints were found. One from a size 14 men's pair of Reeboks and one size 7.5 New Balance shoe for women. A pair of size 14 Reeboks were found tucked away in a drawer at the store, still wet with remnants of blood, as if someone attempted to wash them clean. It was confirmed that this pair belonged to the store to be used during alterations. The smaller prints stopped abruptly by the sink and there was a strange pattern of blood trailing from the sink back to where the Reeboks were found. Analysis showed the ends of the shoelaces were wet with diluted blood and flicked a pattern on the floor every time the person took a step. It was determined that the pattern was inconsistent with normal human biomechanical movement, meaning someone put on a pair of shoes that was way too big for them and tried to walk around. But there were no footprints leading outside the store because the killer never left the store. Brittany apparently stewed about this all night and asked to come back the following morning, claiming there was something she had been too scared to tell them. Brittany said the killers ordered her to repark Jaina's car several blocks away and that they would be watching her the entire time. She tearfully said they threatened to kill her whole family if she didn't come back and that they had her address after looking through her purse. That was the moment the detectives finally confronted Brittany and told her they knew that she alone murdered Jaina. After telling her about the blood evidence in the car and the bloody footprints, they divulged that her own DNA was found on the zip ties, proving she fastened them with her own teeth. The cut on her right hand between her thumb and forefinger was, in fact, not a defensive wound, but caused when the knife slipped while she was stabbing Jaina. And the Apple employees next door reportedly heard the attack happening through the shared wall and heard only female voices. It should be noted that the Apple employees neglected to call 911 because they assumed it was just drama. On March 18, 2011... 
Brittany Norwood was arrested for the first-degree murder of Jana Murray. But why? What could have possibly been the motive for this utterly gruesome and prolonged murder? Brittany had a habit of stealing things. The reason she left Stony Brook University is because her soccer teammates found her stealing their belongings from the locker room. In fact, she was accused of theft at the Lululemon store in Georgetown, and rather than fire Brittany, management decided to transfer her instead to the Bethesda location. On the night of March 11th, after weeks of speculation that Brittany had been stealing from co-workers, Jaina was conducting a mandatory bag check at the end of their shift. Jaina ultimately found a pair of yoga pants in Brittany's bag with the tag attached. When Brittany couldn't produce a receipt, Jaina told her they'd deal with it tomorrow since the computers were shut down, and they both parted ways. However, that's when Brittany concocted her plan to lure Jaina back to the store. Investigators theorized that's when the confrontation about the stolen item ensued, and Brittany savagely attacked Jaina, using at least five different weapons within the store, including a hammer, a box cutter, a rope, a merchandise peg, and a Buddha statue. Jaina was alive through most of the attack, which most likely lasted at least 20 minutes. Brittany then spent 90 minutes sitting in Jaina's car, concocting her plan on how to cover up the grisly murder. Once she knocked over the mannequins and staged the crime scene, she inflicted superficial wounds to her own body, zip-tied her hands, and waited in the bathroom, a few yards away from Jaina's bloody corpse. During the trial, the defense didn't deny that Brittany killed Jaina, but tried to argue that this was a crime of passion because Brittany and Jaina had not had any previous altercations. But the prosecution argued that with every blow, Brittany had a chance to stop what she was doing. Instead, she in fact reveled in the gore. Brittany was convicted on January 27, 2012, of first-degree murder without parole. During sentencing, Judge Robert Greenberg said to Brittany, You're one hell of a liar, ma'am. Jana's brother Dirk said his two young sons were profoundly affected by Jana's murder, and that at night, instead of checking the closet for the boogeyman, they checked the closet for Brittany Norwood. Jana's family has since created the Jana Troxel Murray Foundation to honor the young adventure-seeking woman. Jana's father, David, said that she was one of the most fearless people I've ever known in my life, and that's as objective as a father can get. Brittany Norwood is incarcerated at the Maryland Correctional Institution for Women. She has exhausted her appeals. Thanks for joining me. This episode of Crime Cave has been brought to you by Fortress Defense Consultants providing security consulting for educational institutions, corporate facilities, and houses of worship, as well as pepper spray, situational awareness, and defensive firearms training for police and private citizens. Find Fortress on the web at FortressDefense.com. Contact Fortress directly at 708-522-8060 or email them at info at FortressDefense.com. Avoid being the subject of a future episode of Crime Cave.
Train with Fortress today. Until next time.